And here we are. Looks like we're live. Great, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Welcome. Excellent. All right, everybody. Welcome to the initial episode of the Braced Base Brotherhood podcast. And we're here with Gritcall today, who's become a good friend of mine over the last year. I've learned a hell of a lot. Hopefully he's learned a little something. And um, Grit, I just want to start off by, you know, you've been a traveling man for the last several months, uh, most of it crypto related. I, I, and I just want to hear a little bit where you've been over the last several months. Um, there's a lot of different directions we can go with that. I think you started off in Dubai, but tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, so for the last couple of months, we've been kind of traveling. I was in Dubai um, for most of October. And then from end of October, around Halloween, actually, was when I flew into New York. And from November till the end of December, until the new year, I was in America. We did it like a road trip, uh, coast to coast. Uh, that was pretty fun. Um, we went to New York, Miami, Texas, um, New Mexico, I think, mm -hmm. Arizona, and L.A. So, yeah. All right, so what are your favorite places in America? Um, so it would probably be L.A., New York, and Miami, pro probably in that order. Mm -hmm. um, there are some, like, biases and caveats with that. Um, you know, I, I didn't stay in L.A. that long. I think if I stayed in longer, I'd probably, you know, I'd probably rank it lower. But, you know, when I kind of went there, it was, um, it was very movie-like. You know, it felt... It felt very different to like all the other kind of places I've been to. Um, I mean, I saw did New York and um, Miami. Miami was very different, but mm -hmm. it, it was very. I think it was just a bit too relaxed for me. Um, whereas <laughs> New York was uh, pretty cool. There's always something going on, and um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. But you know, I kind of left as soon as it started getting cold. So yeah, good idea. Well, the, and that's been the rub on Miami. I mean, we're based here in Miami. And there's a lot of crypto people moving here, tech capital moving from the Northeast and from the West Coast. And people say that Miami doesn't have the right climate or really vibes to become what the mayor and many other people want it to become as a tech hub. I'm, I'm not really sure because I think there are a lot of tailwinds behind Miami and the state of Florida in general. But what do you think about that in terms of like the, the climate and the weather? Is it conducive to building tech and crypto companies? Um, I, I, I've read somewhere um, by, it was in a book by some, um, I think it was by Ogilvy or someone. But basically they were saying that the reason why England has so much like creative work is because the weather is so shit. Um, <laughs> So I, I think it has some like truth to it. Like, I'm, am I like a total like Miami pessimist? No, I'm not. I think it can happen, but I just don't think it's 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 gonna be that good. I mean, yeah, like Miami was the place where I did the least amount of work, uh, <laughs> and, and you like, didn't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was a lot of fun, but at the same yeah. time, um, I don't know. It's very. It's, it's just like a very relaxed, cool. Everyone's just vibing. Everyone's wearing their flip flops. Um, I don't know how much like work you can get done in flip flops, but I don't know. Like, um, 
I'm I'm still waiting to kind of see if it turns out well. Um, I think with like everyone working from home as well, I think it can definitely become a tech hub. Um, and one thing that's not really going to go away is that kind of physical need to like network and have fun. Um, and if all the like tech guys are having fun in one place, then it's going to become a tech hub anyways, um, just because everyone's just there um, exchanging ideas and stuff. So I still think it, it can be a tech hub, but like right now and the experience I had was just like, you know, I mean, I came at the wrong time for it like to do any work. I came at Art Basel, so everyone was already in party mode and, you know, parties are pretty crazy there. So is well, What was it like trying to get around Miami during Art Basel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean everyone i talked to said it was like the worst traffic ever um i i didn't think the traffic was that bad mm-hmm. um i mean maybe because i haven't been in there for quite a while now but it, it was okay um it wasn't too bad Miami's it's, it's not that big and it's not that like spread out you can like pretty much do everything you need to um if you give yourself enough time um but yeah yeah, and, and, and it's like any other major urban city in the U.S. Traffic is going to be a nightmare. Um, I've lived in L.A., Dallas, you know, driven around New York, and you just have to time and pick your spots whenever you're going to drive and understand there's probably two, three hours in the morning, two, three hours in the afternoon where it's basically unnavigable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends where you kind of live as well. I think um, last year, like, I didn't, travel to meet people as much as i could have but i think this year because in in america like you know it's a huge country and people just travel for ages just to meet people so i think trying to give yourself a bit more to kind of especially in the uk like in the uk nobody will travel 30 minutes to just have a meeting unless Mm -hmm. it's very important whereas in america it's like you'll travel 30 minutes just to meet your friends so i think there has to be like some leeway as well honestly i don't think it was that bad um and like miami is a pretty like well-designed city it's very kind of organic um yeah it's yeah it's it's pretty good all around um i mean obviously it has like pros and cons like any other place right exactly well you know whenever i was you know we've talked for the last year or so and i've listened to you and other podcasts and i see the variety of different topics that you talk about on twitter it can be a little bit difficult in the array of topics that we want to cover because you're there's you're really a renaissance man. You're a polymath. There's many different things you're versed on, and uh, whether it's here in the base sphere and talking about you know what's going on culturally, or we're talking about crypto, Web three, what's happening in the metaverse. But initially, I'd like to focus a little bit on you know this COVID reality that uh, we're all living through and you've been in multiple places recently and i'd like to hear a little bit about how these places are responding to covid um you know travel restrictions you know freedom of movement and also just you know culturally how people are responding to covid um could you give us a little bit of uh you know give us some insight on what you've seen from dubai to the uk to america yeah um okay so in in dubai it was um you didn't need a vaccine you just need a negative pcr but they were very strict on having like a face mask everywhere Mm -hmm. Uh, that that was really like disorienting um obviously once you're in a venue like no one really cares 
um, as much, but like, you know, I went to a lot of conferences and, you know, security guards were always telling you to like, put your mask on, put your mask on. Um, yeah, it was like, you just needed a mask. You didn't need a vaccine pass or anything, but you, you needed a mask, which I think was probably more intrusive, um, mm -hmm. than a vaccine card. Um, so that was Dubai. Um, other than that, I think, um, like there's nothing shut down. Um, like COVID cases weren't as high in Dubai as like other places, I guess. Um, and I think, you know, the reason why they kind of had that was because, um, you know, it's primarily like tourism based. So it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, keep that kind of thing, I guess. And just try to keep as many businesses open as it possibly could. Um, so that was Dubai in New York. Um, like you didn't have to wear a mask as much as Dubai, uh, which I think some people will find surprising. Um, Dubai is very, very strict in on masks compared to New York. Um, mm -hmm. but in New York, you needed a Vax pass, uh, a Vax card, or whatever. Um, you know, you can like I don't know, like if you have a friend that knows a friend, you know, it's it's not that much of a hurdle. Um, so yeah, like. I don't know. I was pretty, I was quite like I think New York was way more freer than, um, what's it called Dubai, and then yeah. Miami in Miami is probably the freest. I probably all the places. Um, they don't ask for vax pass. No one wears a mask. Um, yeah, so it was pretty free and open. Um, you know, no one's going to do the whole vaccine thing in Miami. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even speak like I was speaking like Spanish primarily to like you know order food and stuff in some places so yeah like no one was asking for a, a mask and i think that's probably like the difference is probably because of the culture so like in miami i'm guessing there's probably more like undocumented people um, than in new york so there's a whole culture of like don't ask don't tell um, mm -hmm. that's that was miami and then in texas so i went to austin um you know i think austin i, I wasn't there for too long again so like i'm biased I only saw it for like two, three days. Um, Can I we talk shit about Austin? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think it was okay in general. Um, like, would I move there? Probably not. There's like a huge like tech place, but I think it's like I think the like um, the golden era of te Austin, Texas, has kind of passed. Um, like probably like two years ago, and it's like flashing a pan. I think. Like I've heard from people in Austin that are moving to Miami, so um, I think that tells you a lot. Um, so, yeah, like a few places ask for a mask, and a few places ask for a vax um, card thing. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty relaxed to be honest. Um, you know, it wasn't as bad as New York to be honest. Right. And then LA, LA was pretty bad. No, I mean it wasn't. They were just asking for vax pass, and one of my we went to. Um, like, uh, we went to a bar to get dinner uh, with me and my friend. My friend didn't have a Vax pass, and he, he, he wasn't allowed food. Um, but we went to another place that asked for it, and they didn't, you know, didn't really care. So, I don't know. It, it, that was more of a mixed bag. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's... Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things is yeah. who's going to enforce a Vax pass and who's not. I've heard... You know, all different kinds of experiences from New York and L.A., people saying, hey, you just kind of flashed the pass to get in. They're not going to really inspect it. Um, 
you know, some places they might be a little bit more, you know, they want to scrutinize it, but it just really depends on the situation and who you're with. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think the, the whole like, COVID situation, there's two ways to go around it. There's um, like, you get like, you know, stimulus fatigue, as they say. So if everyone asks, asks it, you're going to be like, hey, you know, like, you're just not going to give a fuck and you're just going to do it. But mm -hmm. that can go the other way. Whereas if they can, like, if they want to increase the amount of things that you do, then it's going to become, you know, like people are going to be like, hey, you know, we've already done this, you know, we don't want to do it anymore. Um, so that's the two ways I see it going is where it becomes very normalized or it becomes like totally out rejected um, outright, which I think it's um, in New York is probably accepted. And in like Miami is like, you know, totally rejected. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of get the feeling that you like New York the best in terms of the pace, um, an environment for maybe, you know, starting something, a crypto company. I think you were there for an NFT conference, if my memory serves correctly. Yeah, so I was there for NFT NYC and I was in New York for about a month. Um, so I got to see a lot. I would say like the crypto community there is huge. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been talking to a lot of people. Um, and a lot of like crypto people are actually like intending to move to Miami, but like the community in crypto for crypto in New York is huge. It's like underrated in terms of how big it is compared to like, other places. Um, you probably do more like networking crypto in New York than in Dubai, let's say, um, or it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's an equal kind of footing, I guess. Right. Uh, so. I don't know. I think that might change as well. I think, I think, yeah, I think, uh, New York is a, like a tech hub in, in a certain way. Um, I love like, you know, it's a financial center of America, really. Uh, you've got wall street there. So, and you know, tech and finance are kind of merging into, you know, crypto, I guess. So yeah, there's a lot of overlaps. I think, I think there's like, um, little enclaves everywhere. Um, like in London, Dubai, wherever, really, like you can find crypto people. I probably, I probably liked LA the most because it had, it had like good weather and it had like, you know, some pace. Um, you know, it's been like a cultural center for a very long time and you, and you can actually feel that. Whereas in other places, I didn't really feel that, you know, there's like a lot of pros and cons. Um, but I wasn't in LA for long. Um, I think LA is like way too kind of spread out where like, I think it's more spread out than, um, you know, New York. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we only have a few truly urban cities in America. Um, New York is at the top, obviously Chicago's a strong number two. And then I think you'd look at San Francisco. That's got that urban density, uh, good mass transit, very walkable. And then maybe you look at a place like Seattle, but you know, I've lived in, I live in LA a couple of years and it, it's not a real urban city. It's a suburban sprawl that has some pockets of urban yeah. density. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very flat, very spread out. Um, if you don't like driving, you're not going to like LA really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in New York, you, you don't, you don't need a car, but in a place like LA, I like Chicago because you can do both. It's got good mass transit, but it's also very drivable. Yeah. You, did you hit Chicago by any chance? Nah, I did not. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to. It was like really up north and it was just like cold around there. I was just like, nah, fuck that. 
Yeah. No, you went to all the good places. <laughs> yeah, the South. So if you were going to start a crypto or Web3 company, where what city would you pick of all the places you visited? It, it depends what you're trying to optimize for. Um, mm -hmm. Miami is probably like, if you're going to set up a crypto company in, in America, it's most likely to do to go to Dubai. But if you're not from America, I would say go to, I mean, sorry, if you're in America, if you want to set up a crypto company, go to Miami. But if you're not from America, from like anywhere else in the world, either try to go to um, America or try to go to Dubai. Um, you know, that, that's the two things I'd say. So in terms of like crypto, um, the thing is like the whole like tax benefit thing in Miami is probably like very, very attractive. Um, so go for that. And the fact is you're still going to be in America. You're still going to be in like an English speaking country and you're going to have access to like capital, like nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and not only capital, but also very smart capital in Dubai. You know, I heard stories of people rejecting huge amounts of money in Dubai, um, mainly because it was attached to, you know, dumb money, as they say, you know, there's like a lot of people there, they don't have the kind of infrastructure or the, you know, tacit knowledge of, you know, growing and scaling. Um, and there's not as many people in Dubai as there are in America. So if you're just trying to like, you know, grow from within a country and, you know, be it primarily English speaking, you know, America's probably best bet in terms of like, even like for like user acquisition uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. And, and there's still a lot of value in those gateway markets and, and those capital hubs like New York and San Francisco in terms of being able to get a lot of pitches because there's just so much capital available. And so trying to get something off the ground, it would serve somebody well to be in those environments. And there's also a lot of other people that are trying to do the exact same thing and that are going to help you and grow together along the way. And I, I could see it, you know, starting something in New York or the Bay Area, and then maybe you move to a place like you know, Austin or Miami and you optimize for taxes and growth. I think that could be a good route for a lot Alex of companies. Gone on mute. So I want to talk a little bit about um, crypto and Web3 because there's a lot of debate on what is crypto, what is Web3, how do these two things fit together? And would you educate us a little bit about the difference between these things? So difference between crypto and Web3, right? Yes. So crypto is a, um, it's, it's quite an old term, you know, dating back probably like maybe the eighties or nineties, you know, it, it's like a, it stems from cryptography. Um, mm -hmm. the ideological weight behind crypto and Web3 is very different. Um, you know, I would say personally, you know, Web1, Web2, Web3, um, they're probably more recent kind of terms. Um, they weren't used as much and within the last year or so web three has like as a term encompassing the combination of web two and crypto and like, you know, the whole like user interface aspect of, you know, something that's built on blockchain technology, let's say is, is, is more recent and it's, it's becoming more um, popular due to like certain, you know, VC firms, um, popularizing this concept. You know, hats off to them. It's, it's, it was a very kind of good uh, marketing thing because the ideological um, background of crypto is um, 
it, it's very anti-institutions, very anti-state. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like it was kind of born from the fact that we need cryptography mainly because, um, you know, we want to like stop tyrants from, you know, taking over and, you know, demolishing our rights. So um, I think, I, I don't know much about the specific history of PGP, um, which stands for pretty good, um, I can't remember what the last piece was, pretty good privacy, yeah, that's it. So yeah, I, I'd say to people like look into that and how it kind of came about. Um, also look into the fact that uh, actual cryptography was like a um, a military technology that was banned um, from export. And one of the ways that people kind of got around this export of um, encryption technology was actually publishing a book with all the like crypto technology, cryptography within it. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why the, uh, America couldn't stop the banning of that specific book, because, um, you know, it, it goes against like the whole like freedom of speech thing. Um, so like crypto as a whole, it's it's way more inflammatory, I suppose. Um, whereas Web3 is very like um, social oriented, user friendly. Um, and it's like an evolution of um, you know, social platforms. So, you know, Web1 was like, you know, forums and chat rooms, I suppose. Web2 was the Facebook era where you had these kind of platforms. And now people are saying that we're in Web3 where you have, you know, privately owned data and so on, um, you know, and wh- whatever that means. And I think it's coming alongside this whole like concept of metaverse. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is, in my opinion, and I've written like extensive threads on this is because the infrastructure of the Internet is actually improving, is increasing. And one of the reasons why this is, is because Internet speeds are increasing. So mm-hmm. when you had um, Web 1.0, you had like dial-up and then you had, um, you know, like 2G internet and then 3G. When, when you had 3G, um, it was a pivotal kind of moment in the history of like mobile technology. So when you had 3G, you had um, the iPhone 3G and they named that iPhone 3G after three, the 3G, um, you know, internet technology, um, telecoms, communications. So like the ability that with the fact that we can transfer more, transfer more information over the internet, um, you know, wirelessly even allows us to have like different types of apps, which allow us to have different types of communication modes and, you know, those platforms. So 3G and Facebook kind of coincided around the same time. If you release Facebook now, um, it, w- it w- you know, it wouldn't take off. And if you release like Facebook five years earlier, it wouldn't have taken off. So mm-hmm. it kind of came around the right, right um, time. Um, which is a very interesting thing on just like the nature of startups as well. Um, you know, you can do everything right. You can have a winning idea, but if you know, certain infrastructure is not built, it's the wrong time. So, and now we're at the point where we have 5G internet and in about like five, six years time, we're probably going to have 6G. Uh, and what's happening now is essentially with 5G, you're having way more information being seamlessly transferred. Um, you can have like, you know, instant wireless phone um, face calls, um, video calls, you can, you know, like augmented reality is pretty much next. Um, you know, and I think that's going to come with 6G. Um, so yeah, we're like crypto is like a whole encompassing, um, kind of ideology and technology. Um, you know, like if you, if you really want to get into like crypto as what it is, it's a very ideological kind of thing. And I would suggest like reading, um, Anarcho 
capitalists and crypto anarchy kind of stuff. And then, you know, if you look at Bitcoin itself, and if you look at the actual like um, messages that Satoshi wrote on Bitcoin forum, you know, it was very ideological in nature. It believes that there has to be a currency that is against, um, you know, outside the control of central banks and, you know, hard money. And then you get into this whole notion of, um, you know, economics and, uh, you know, different types of monetary and financial policies. Um, whereas Web3 is more like the social um, platform aspect. Yeah, so we, we could say that crypto is transcendent technology and something like Web3 is is a phase that, um, you know, we'll pass through on to Web4 and other iterations. And will crypto make it into Web4, Web5 or whatever it's branded at that time? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, um, and, and the reason why I say that is you're going to have more, there's always going to be a demand for like encryption. There's always going to be a demand for like private communication. And there's always going to be a demand for, um, you know, avoiding the state um, in like, you know, certain things. So, and you can see that with like Tor, you can see like, I think Tor was invented before um, Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um so like there's always going to be a demand for that so we're not going to escape like crypto technologies now um you know the pandora's box is open let's say yeah i remember when tor came out and i was scared to download it <laughs> it was seen as like dirty and you would oh, only yeah. be downloading tor if there was some kind of illicit purpose and now i look back and think well that was a more free version of the internet and and people had insight and in where things may be going and look at how it is look at where we are today um yeah um like i think tour like when, when tour first like when i first found the tour like, like 2008 or 2009 mm -hmm. it was like huge or like actually the late end of like 2011 maybe yeah but around that time when i was in school like when i found it it was just like mind-blowing i was just I just spent hours just like you know going through those onion links and like going through those um, <laughs> you know the broads or whatever they're called um, and just like clicking random links and just be like what the fuck is this and yeah yeah well we're kind of in the same place today though now in terms of we need to activate you know more decentralized forms of you know communicating with each other building platforms um, and it's really in its infancy so what are you more bullish on you know, in the short term, um, and it sounds like in the long term, you know, crypto is going to be transcendent beyond Web3. But in the short term, what are you more bullish on? I think um, like DeFi protocols or like DeFi 2.0 and like just creating um, like banking instruments is kind of underrated. So like, you know, rebasing tokens is a huge um, innovation. And essentially just like creating infrastructure for the new kind of like world, I suppose. And, and the reason why I would say like I'm bullish for this is because I think it's like undervalued in like shininess. But the thing is like incentive mechanisms are huge. So like if you, if you can like save 20% 20, 20 on like let's say Anchor, um, you know, like it, it might not be like huge like 100x kind of like NFT kind of like showcasey advertising but the thing is it's like over time 
people are just gonna be like, yeah, it's a, you know, that's a stable kind of thing. Even though twenty percent is like you know extreme in like you know traditional banking, it is in crypto you know relatively stable. And if, and if you if you can do like and if you can like you know borrow and lend money, um, you know decentrally, I think that's a huge undervalued kind of like innovation. Yeah, and it, I've only been in the market for the last year. I was interested several years ago. And I remember trying to buy Ethereum. I guess this is back in 2017 when crypto was really exploding and kind of, you know, appeared in the mainstream for the first time. And I couldn't buy it from my bank. That was a smaller regional bank in Texas. I couldn't buy it via Chase on my credit card. I couldn't access it. And it made me think, holy shit, this is going to be really valuable. Why can't I do this? And I was kind of locked out unless I wanted to go through the effort of using a different bank. You know, um, and then, of course, it went dormant for a while and it's come back. And, you know, this is an interesting thing about crypto is you there's so much to learn. You get in it and you're a dummy, you know, you're a dummy. And then you there's immersive learning. And after a few months, you're like, OK, I think I'm starting to get this. And then you see something that, you know, like back in May, the dump that we saw back then. And you realize, oh, my God, I have no clue of what's going on. And so the learning process seems to start all over again. <laughs> and what I wanted to ask you is what is going on right now in crypto? Um, is this an extended cycle? Are we going to see another dump? I mean, I have no clue of where this thing is headed, and I'm not sure anybody does, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that like most people don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, I, I, I think... The whole like super cycle theory like makes a lot of sense. Um, like you know, a lot of things you have to take into consideration is that Bitcoin is like over ten years old now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's I, I've been in Bitcoin like I bought it around 2011, 2012, I think I can't remember, but essentially it's yeah, it's, it's been around for a while, and pretty much every person on Earth has heard of Bitcoin, and so that's one thing, and then. Like everyone now, so pretty much everyone's heard of Bitcoin now. Like yeah. that means like eight billion people on Earth. You know, even kids in like rural villages in Southeast Asia have heard of it. Um, I know that because I hire people from that kind of area and work with them. Like they know about Bitcoin. But the thing is, it's like how much capital allocation is going to go into Bitcoin, which um, you know, it's I think it's already done kind of numbers. And then what's kind of happening now? It's like that kind of capital is also bleeding into like other places. Um, the volatility has like kind of decreased in the market in general, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you look at the kind of like shocks in like 2018, um, you know, if you remember how crazy it was and how volatile it was, I feel as though it was way more volatile or maybe I'm just kind of desensitized from, you know, the swings now. But yeah, back then it was crazier. So I think like it is kind of like stabilizing. It's like, it's like, finding its price slowly, um, you know, which is accompanied with shocks in general when, you know, a stock is finding its price. So I, th I think that has like huge amounts of like credence. I think it was, I think it's going to go like up and down a little bit, but like that's just mainly like whales kind of manipulating the price and there are a lot of whales and um, like, yeah, I think, I think that's my kind of like take on it is that it's, it's here to stay. Like it's been around 10 years. It's going to, you know, according to Lindy principle, it's going to be here in over 10 years. 
I like, you know, can you make money on it? Yeah, definitely. Um, is it becoming more stable? Yeah, but also like as the risk is decreasing, you know, rewards are decreasing, um, you know, so I, I would say, yeah, like it's, it's here to stay. Like there's no point unless you're a professional trader, you know, like speculating on prices is uh, it's pretty difficult because um, most people don't know what the fuck's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you and I talked about it too. I, I've gone, you know, over the last year, I've probably taken every kind of tactic in terms of, you know, day trading and watching things run up and then not selling within a, a minute. And then it starts dropping like a rock where I'm glued to my laptop on some camp coffee shop in North Carolina to, you know, buying Bitcoin and holding, which really over the last year was probably the worst thing I did was tying up too much money in Bitcoin. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, like also like look <laughs> at the market cap of Bitcoin, like how much more like realistically is it going to rise? Like, is it going to do like another 10 X? Um, in order for it to 10 X, you have to like multiply the market cap by 10, right? Mm -hmm. or some sort of like equation of that nature so essentially you're gonna have to put a lot of capital in like trillions maybe not trillions of an s but you know you have to put a lot of money in so like are you more likely to get that kind of like return on some on a product that you're early in um that you're early on in in on but essentially what i'm trying to say is that you know it's as it's getting more stable you know prices aren't gonna you know go up crazily um you know, I think a lot of people kind of like put their money in Bitcoin as well, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, it comes with certain. Yeah, that's what I was really looking to do was, you know, initially was just, okay, I need a place to, to put money. And I like the idea of this better than anything else. And it was exhilarating learning about the technology and, um, you know, the history of Bitcoin and the fact that let's say things go to total shit where you live and you want to go off to the Caribbean or some island somewhere, you you can take your Bitcoin with you, whether it's in a hardware wallet or your, you know, your keywords, and you can kind of start over. And that's really appealing. Um, and, that, and that's what really got me into it. But, you know, the, y there is an issue with the market cap. And I actually think there's a little bit of an issue with, you know, crypto in general kind of hitting hitting a ceiling and some real resistance at you know close to the three trillion dollar mark and that so much money has come into it over the last year I think it might have been five or six hundred billion dollars you know roughly a year ago and we've gone all the way up to three trillion dollars and right now it's hovering a little bit over two trillion and so what is it going to take to get to five trillion ten trillion? you know, Bitcoin to get to, you know, par with gold in terms of its market size. That's going to take, I, I think, you know, mainstream adoption via regulation. And while I don't like the idea of that in terms of the original principles, that's probably generally a good thing. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that in terms of, do we want regulation? How much regulation do we want? Um, yeah, I think it's very, um, I think that's a very reasonable take. I think that's probably going to you know, happen in some form. Also, like, I think as crypto in general gets more widespread usage, what's going to happen is like businesses, especially, are going to have um, reserves, which is going to dwindle supply and like, you know, people are just going to hold more of it. Um, also, like, 
nation states and countries are going to start holding it. Um, you know, El Salvador bought some. So yeah, like essentially, like it's gonna like supplies is you know slowly going to decrease as well because it, that's how like a currency should be used. And um, I can't remember was it some Austrian like economist you know like they they talk extensively I can't remember the name um I think it was Rothbard or someone I can't remember but essentially like what they were trying to say was um you know a currency should only be used if like what you're buying is you know increasing in marginal utility so mm -hmm. um so yeah like if, if if it's like stable you know it's people start like just holding it as a reserve kind of currency as like gold was initially kind of used um and you know just kind of go from there so i think yeah that's that's my kind of take on that you know like will it be like widespread used i don't know maybe it'll be another crypto i honestly don't know um well and there's a couple of things to this i mean my view on crypto is we need to start using it for how it was intended to be used. We need to do transactions with it. Now, people like Richard Hart, who's a really smart guy, said that there's an issue with throughput and that the amount of transactions you would need to do, um, you know, in, in the day-to-day -day world, it would be very difficult for crypto to take all that on. But not, it doesn't necessarily need to. It just needs to be used more often. And so, you know, you bring in regulation and the SEC is going to, you know, basically control the American market, which is, you know, the largest market for crypto. Um, that may be good for bringing more money in and people getting more wealthy. But are we going to have privacy? Are we going to be able to actually transact and use this stuff the way that it was intended? I don't know. I mean, I, I personally would like to see people actually using it. And, you know, you love Bitcoin, you believe it's the best form of currency best store of value use it get on zero yeah but, but the thing is if you use it you're spending it so you're going to get rid of it, something that you value yeah, so this so yeah this is an interesting conversation so some people believe you just put you and anything you earn you put in bitcoin um you need to sell into fiat you do that now of course there's a tax implication that's the big issue right um, yeah but, but the, thing, the, the, the other thing is it's not like as capital efficient as like, let's say, you know, Shiba, let's say um, you put your money in Bitcoin versus Shiba, you're probably going to outperform in, in a more volatile coin. And the initial people that were kind of attracted to Bitcoin, in my opinion, were, you know, very high risk tolerance people. So mm -hmm. like, are they going to keep money in something that's like pretty stable now, like compared to like other cryptos? Uh, in my opinion, you know, that's no, like they'd rather put their money, like try to 100x, you know. They their, moved on so yeah so like i don't know is it that's so like that's why i'm not really a big fan of maximalism because it relies on too many like preconceived notions right. and also like you know if you can you know hold more of a coin and that's going to go up um compared to like bitcoin which is going to require a lot more capital and institutions are buying it and institutions are way bigger than you know just your average Joe, mom and pop, retail guy. So, yeah, it's it, it's, it's tricky. Um, can it, you know, become like a the currency of the universe? Maybe. Um, but the thing is, it's like 
if I can create my own currency and you know I can offer people rewards like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to use a Ponzi scheme word, but the thing is, it's like if you, if you like financial incentives like rule the world. You know, we live in a capitalist society, I suppose, and you know, like there's no what you have to look at the incentives. There's more incentive to use you know another currency that's going to hundred x versus you know something that's you know very outdated and very stable now. I'm with you all the way. And that's one of the issues with Bitcoin is I think people that are neophytes, they get into it because it's the brand name. I mean, there's a lot of people that think Bitcoin, you know, crypto is Bitcoin. That's their only reference point. And so, you know, you get into it for that reason. It's, you know, the most robust, the most decentralized, all this. But then you get in it and you see people on Twitter making incredible returns on whatever shitcoin it is. And you're like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I pumping Yudi's bag? Why am, <laughs> why am I somebody else's exit liquidity and I'm buying in at, you know, 30, 40,000 and everybody's telling me to hodl and there's somebody that bought it five years ago for, you know, two or three grand and they're selling at the top. It makes you feel like an idiot. And I know that people say that it's a, you know, two or three year proposition, but, um, that's a hell of a long time, particularly in the world we're living in when things are moving so fast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely hold some Bitcoin. I don't like, you know, I probably hold more in like altcoins and other projects. But yeah, like, I think I think it's good to kind of hedge your bets as well. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for like something stable and you know, it's kind of grow, you know, I'd say Bitcoin is a good bet, I suppose, you know, other cryptos as well that have been around for a while now. Um, like Ethereum, yeah, you have to like, you have to kind of diagnose it with you know, three economic, what's going to happen and, you know, over incentive mechanisms. So what are, when you're looking at these incentive systems, what are some of the tokens protocols that you're looking at that you're really excited about? Um, probably Olympus. I think the whole, like the rebasing stable coin kind of notion is pretty exciting. Um, I'm not like I haven't done as much research on Olympus as I, as I would like to have to talk about it at length. Mm -hmm. But like the what the like they're the second most uh, forked project, which is a huge signal that you should look into it. Uh, they are a pretty good price right now. I think uh, it's pretty low. I think they pumped yesterday. I was asleep. I was gonna buy <laughs> some, but not me. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's probably like one. And then like I'm quite excited for like Ethereum 2.0. Um, in terms of like what like what it promises, and um, yeah, I'd probably say like those two kind of like projects are at the top of my list, like Ethereum and Olympus. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's probably a few others that I've looked at as well, um, you know, that do various certain things, but nothing as like with like as big as as potential, in my opinion. Right. What do you think about Cardano? Um, Cardano, I've Honestly, I have made money from it, but like that was back in like 2017 or 2018. It's it's an okay coin. I know some people that work for Cardano. I know people that are associated to the ecosystem. Um, but the thing is, like their approach is like very academic oriented, very bureaucratic, and does slow. Um, I don't know if they have a functioning EVM or like you know smart contract machine or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, like last I heard, they had it, you know, set up like within the last couple of months. 
you know, I haven't really seen too much from their kind of like, you know, sphere. Um, what do I think about it? I think it's like, yeah, it's like a slow and steady kind of thing. Is it overpriced? Yeah, probably. There are more functioning projects that offer more, um, you know, that's just my like rough take on it. Well, it, it could be said there's a cult of personality that's driving it, you know, with Charles Hoskinson. He actually, there was a Cardano event here in Miami at the BTC conference, and I went. It was free. I think, why the hell not? Let's go see if we can meet Charles in person. And it's interesting because there's different kinds of people that um, gravitates towards certain tokens and ecosystems. And the type of person that's into yeah. Cardano is probably entirely different than somebody that's into Ethereum, into Polkadot, into Terra Luna, and... Um, you know, it, it's good to go in person and, and see what these people are like and why they like this particular coin. I think a lot of it with Cardano is people are, you know, drawn to Charles Hoskinson and see him as a Steve Jobs-like character. I mean, I think he's, he reminds me of an, uh, like one of the old radio talk show hosts with his YouTube AMAs and live streams where there's a lot of, you know, societal and cultural commentary that probably gets people invested in Cardano more than any of the technicals or progress reports that he gives about the coin. People like him, they want to see him succeed. And that's yeah, part of the reason I mean, why they're doing it. That, that's a very interesting point. And, you know, one thing I would say is that like most of crypto right now is just like based on like, you know, future gains, future promises, and you know things are going to come in the future so like yeah like there's what crypto promises and what it actually delivers is very different um and honestly like a lot of projects are like that you know for instance ripple um you know other like dinosaur coins as i call them um mm -hmm. they're very similar in the sense that you know they promise a lot don't deliver that much and you know it's a huge amount of marketing that's propped up the price and a lot of the price actually baked, a lot of the future expectations are baked into the current price as it is now. Yeah, and there's a lot of deliverables that haven't haven't happened yet. So we're going to see what happens. So we're going to kind of wrap up with crypto. And then I want to hear a little bit more about what you're up to, because I know you're involved in many different projects. And I want to hear about that. Um, but with, with crypto kind of wrapping it up, it seems like there's these narrative rotational cycles where people get excited about certain things, you know, whether it's alternative L1s to Ethereum or, um, you know, now it's ZK rollups, you know, it was DeFi protocols a while ago. There's these different themes that really drive people's investments. And is that something, does that drive a lot of your investment thesis or are you more of, I'm looking over the long term here? How do you, how does it all blend together for you? um yeah no i i think every single person on earth has like some sort of like narrative construction and that narrative construction you know creates the hypothesis and then you know you have your you know then you invest and if you if your hypothesis is correct you make a lot of money if it's not you lose money so i think everyone has that built in like naturally as a human mm -hmm. i think everyone has like you know oh yeah tell themselves a story if it's right, if, you know, that's the hypothesis, it was correct. Um, you know, if not reject hypothesis and make a new one, whatever. So I think you can't escape that kind of like aspect of human nature. 
mm-hmm. um, like if you if you're noticing like let's say in you know the typical VC space there's like there's waves of like what's popular you know AI machine learning big data like all these kind of things cloud computing for instance there's waves of like interest of oh yeah this is the next big thing I think this is also like due to like other foundational and functional things such as like um, technology cycles the waves of innovation mm-hmm. innovation like diffusing through society so there's a thing called like the Kondratiev cycle Kondratiev it's like some Russian philosopher I think it's Russian I don't know but essentially like you know there's a wave of like technologies that come up every so often and they get like adopted and what VCs will really want to do or investors really want to do is you know just before the s curve goes like exponential Mm -hmm. that's where you want to invest you don't want to invest too early where like you're going to be in like development cycles and you know just going to be in r&d for ages and months on end i mean years on end (laughs) done it decades don't want to do it (laughs) yeah yeah you you want to be at that point where you can distribute the innovation to consumers at a huge large scale um you know and like as we've as we've gotten older like distribution or and implementation of innovation has gotten quicker and faster and cheaper what that basically means is like for instance the first iphone took x amount of months to make um and then it took like x amount of months to hit x amount of sales or like you know numbers sold in a certain area now you have like like you know amazon as well is a huge example of like distribution centers they can get like prime delivery you know one day delivery even same day delivery like pretty much everywhere in the world so imagine you're selling a consumer good as a new innovation and everybody wants it it's very easy it's easier to do that than it now than it is like even 10 years ago so, so that's one thing to you know bear in mind and you know huge amounts of money has gone into like you know being first to market and being sold and being quicker just by marginally even a day so that's a huge like underrated aspect of like you know technology as a whole as well um and you know so what that kind of leads to is like these cycles shortening so like in crypto especially like you know i say like every six months like your project's probably going to be outdated in terms of like new technologies coming to market um so yeah there is a huge kind of narrative cycle um you know and i think it's like you know it's it's fueled by like you know human biases Mm -hmm. so like you want something new you want something that's going to be up and running it's also funded and fueled by sorry um you know like genuine um infrastructure kind of like um, concerns as well so like you know every couple of years we have a breakthrough i remember like you know four or five years ago people were complaining about like a innovation winter um you know i didn't really take that into account because you know people saying like oh we're going to end up like the ancient greeks where we're going to lose all our civilizational knowledge i don't really think that's going to be the case unless there's like you know huge like mass depopulation um, you know, in the billions. I, I don't think that's really like as possible, mainly because we have like so much interdependencies and infrastructure being built um, that have a lot of like, um, you know. No, you, 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 you raise a good point too about the fortune of good timing. You know, when you, when someone thinks, okay, I have a great idea, the first thing you have to go do is go research it. People get high on their own idea way too early and they go talk to friends, family, people close to them and you need to be thorough in your research because the chances are it's been thought of multiple people have thought of it they tried to do it it didn't work for a particular reason you know i remember you know larry ellison's one of my favorite tech entrepreneurs 
He's an OG. The guy's 74, 75 years old. He still gives a keynote at Oracle Open World. You know, uh, phenomenal, you know, renaissance man, great investor. And um, I remember he went on Oprah. I think this was back in the 80s. And he had the network computer where it was basically, you know, you plug the computer into the Internet and open it up, turn on a browser, and you can do anything, kind of like Google's Chromebook. And he had this idea way back when, but I don't guess there was the internet infrastructure to really be able to do something like that. And you know, we don't feel sorry for Larry Ellison because he's been hugely successful. But that idea was around for a long time. And uh, you, you don't want to be yes. too early. Yeah, definitely. And like, I, I suppose when like, um, you know, making predictions about the future, you have to take that into account. You have to take into account the, um, the whole infrastructure um, and how that, you know, will change over time. Um, I think most people kind of like miss that and they're kind of like, you know, looking into the future, what will happen, what won't happen. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of infrastructure is also like down to, you know, micro level incentives as well. So is there, you know, huge amounts of um, incentive to like build a faster internet? Yeah, totally. Like people want to marginally faster internet all the time. Um, is, you know, why? Because there's like huge financial incentives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if you're like an algorithmic trading company, like you want faster internet because like the microseconds, you know, will make a difference in terms of how much money you can make. So, you know, that's that's gonna that's just like plugged in now. Like you can't really turn off like because there's just too much money to be lost if you you, know, if you turn it off. Um, so like there's constantly going to be newer, faster internets, um, you know, all the time now. Yeah, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting. I think the U.S. we need to, you know, get with the program because there's many other countries that are way beyond where we are in terms of Internet speed. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, I think America's like just kind of really big and the way it's kind of governed, you know, creates these kind of problems of like huge infrastructure projects, mm -hmm. um, you know, like trying to do like a private market um, kind of thing. It's, it's, it, it doesn't really always work. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of do it in the right kind of way, especially over such a large country. Um, you know, and you have to kind of privatize in the right kind of way as well. Um, well, and we've become yeah. so politically polarized. We're having a really difficult, si difficult time solving the most basic problems. Um, and I think this could go on for, you know, 10 or 15 years. Who knows? I mean, so I, I, we're going to pivot a little bit here, <laughs> you know, traveling across the United States and there's these wild differences from city to city, state to state. Could you feel the tension as, as an outsider or were you kind of insulated from that? And, you know, you're having a good time doing these fun events, meeting with interesting people that, you know, you, maybe you haven't met but you've been talking to on twitter for years and you're getting so you're having a lot of fun but could you see the tension that's been building here during your travels yeah i, I suppose i mean like what do you mean by tension like that that's a huge term i think yeah well I, you know there's a lot of talk about like national divorce and i'm sure you see that you know quite oh, okay. often yeah i mean I see that in some respects, but like, 
I don't know, like a couple of years ago, I was kind of saying that, you know, it's like America will like, you know, it has a potential of fractionalizing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know as much. I, I'm not so sure about that as much now, mainly because um, people just travel too much within America. So like you have all these different cultures and like each, like let's say New York, Miami, Texas, LA, uh, Midwest, um, you know, all these other places as well. Like they're all like different cultures and um and also with that within that you have like microcultures obviously um you know but like as like national identity like country-based identities i think you have too much like travel within america mm-hmm. for for there to be like you know any large-scale kind of movement i think it could happen um i think it has to be like tensions have to go even worse and economics like has to go crazy so like, if you guys like get, end up in a new like great recession i think it could happen um but also what also has to happen is like less cultural diffusion if that makes sense so um over the last five years i've known a lot of people from san francisco actually moving to texas and now they kind of move into miami so you have all this like cross-cultural um change and like people are not gonna like oh yeah we should make our own country because it's gonna like there's not enough incentive for to do that on the other hand there is huge amounts of incentive to do that but as long as like it's manageable so like for instance like there's no income tax in miami on the federal level i suppose not the federal um, on the state level right, right you know that that's going to satisfy a lot of people's kind of like um you know financial incentive to secede so what we might see is like um states competing in terms of like talent and capital uh, in terms of governance which i think is going to happen all over the world um you know companies are countries are going to become more competitive as people try to travel more um and that's like you know brian kaplan's um you know argument for more immigration everywhere um so it's because you have like you know companies countries sorry competing on you know how well they rule their state so i think you might kind of see that um but as more people move from let's say um, new york or texas to miami for instance what will end up happening is you know people of miami are going to change like yes that that, you know that's the side effect Mm -hmm. that you have with like becoming a better place to live yeah i think it's a great point too that you know each state and even you know there are many different you know areas within a state that are entirely different experience i mean i look at texas it's really like five or six states in one having grown up there spent most of my life there you know there's entirely different cultural environments and you can choose what you want and America's so large and it's really virtually uninhabited, particularly as you move west across the country. It's really uninhabited and we can absorb a lot more people. Not everybody, a lot of people don't want that, but we certainly can. And I, I personally like people, you know, speaking with their feet. If you don't like the city you're in, you don't like the state you're in, find a way to go somewhere else. Some people it may be harder to do, maybe harder to do than others, but it's, it's something you can do. And, uh, you know, we've been in Miami for about six months now and it's the best cultural fit of, of anywhere I've lived. So, uh, it's made my life a lot better and we're finding great people. So I'm, I think it's great. So I want to ask you, you know, kind of wrapping things up about the future of Twitter. Um, there aren't really any good alternatives to Twitter and we've seen growing censorship, you know, deplatforming people. Um, 
and I think it's going to be hard to get away from Twitter. Are there any other platforms that you're excited about? And what do you think the future is going to be like for Twitter? Um, am I excited about other um, platforms? No, not. I mean, for what Twitter is, no, not really. Like, I, I just can't be asked. Like, looking at new platforms, if I'm honest. Um, there are like a few um, that have like niche kind of use cases, mm-hmm. um, and like so, for instance, Arena or Pin Interest. Like, so if I'm like trying to do like creative work, or I'm looking for inspiration. You know, I'll use those kind of networks just for specifically for that like, consuming. A certain type of content the content that you consume on twitter is nowhere like you you can't find that anywhere else in the world um so yeah i, I don't think there's gonna be like a viable alternative like another couple of years i'd say probably for like five like there's not gonna be a viable alternative for twitter for like five years you know that's a pretty bold statement i think um given that how you know how quick things move so i think it's gonna be like a staple for another you know five years really um, I've been on Twitter since like 2014, like, you know, using it pretty actively. So mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen it change very, a lot almost. So yeah, I'm, I'm very like bullish on Twitter for like within a five year time span. I think after that, after kind of reassess, you know, the landscape, um, yeah, like it's, there's not much alternatives in my opinion, because the huge one of the huge things of Twitter is the actual um, the network effects. It's the people are on there, you know, and the people are on there because there's people on there. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think these major platforms like you know YouTube, Twitter, are probably the ones I use the most often. But also, you know, Facebook, Instagram, they become hardwired into our brains, and people are used yeah. to navigating to those apps on their on their phones, you know, pulling up those websites in their browser as their home pages, and getting away from that is going to be impossible, in, in, in my view. And I don't want to live in an echo chamber. You know, there's things like you know Getter that have come out, um, Gab, but again, I don't want to live in an echo chamber, and I don't think a lot of people that we know do want to do that. So, even though Twitter, it may be, you know, it's going through a different phase with Jack being gone and new leadership, um, it it is going to be around for a long time. You know, really over the last year, I've met more interesting people on Twitter than uh, I have in any time in recent memory. I mean, it's it's better than going to a physical networking event. And you kind of learn to curate, you know, people and sources that um, that meet your values, you know, cutting news, um yeah so i mean i'd argue that like you want an echo chamber in some regards you know like you want to meet like-minded people right mm-hmm. like a lot of people would argue that's an echo chamber i mean yeah like twitter right now is underrated in terms of like you know finding people networking doing business it's um yeah it's, it's probably the, like one of the best platforms i think um i think like so the other kind of platforms I use regularly are Instagram and um, YouTube. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think Discord is like up there, but like I'm on Discord mostly just to more work-related purposes nowadays because of like a lot of crypto projects are on Discord. Um, a lot of group chats I'm in are on Discord now. Um, yeah, I think that's... I mean, I've been on Discord since like... I started my server in 2017, 2018. So like... 
you know, I, I, I kind of saw it coming in the sense that, you know, group chats are going to be way more popular. But like, in terms of, like, finding short content um, that you resonate with, I think Twitter is, like, underrated. Um, I think, like, the kind of, like, content that TikTok makes as well is, um, but, you know, Instagram does that as well. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I don't use it, no. I have an account, but I'm not really on it. You're just observing. <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't even use I haven't yeah. I haven't opened it up in like ages, but like a lot of content from TikTok gets onto Instagram and like Instagram I find is way more like I can I can meet people that are like minded, um just like followers of followers. Um like it's way it's like pretty organic because like people share their friends and people share like you know other things that they like personally. Right. So um I think that's an underrated aspect of Instagram. Like, I don't really use the search function as much, but like, that's pretty interesting as well. Um, so yeah, you know, I remember whenever TikTok really it was, gosh, like mid twenty nineteen. It seems like it really started taking off against. I guess people that are a little bit older, younger people had been into it for longer. But I remember, um, my wife posted a uh, a short video clip on TikTok. This is like December 2019, and this is when I was involved in the, in the beverage product. And she just posted this short, really cool clip, and it went totally viral. And it was the only experience I've ever had in being part of something that went viral. And this short little video, and she had great, like, you know, she's naturally good at this, at putting the right, you know, music to it and, and making it quirky and fun. And it ended up getting, like, six million views half a million likes thousands and thousands of comments and reshares barstool sports ended up picking it up and we got a lot more play out of that and people reaching out to us and they wanted the product and for me it was illuminating in that you can actually go viral on this platform like if something is cool and interesting it can be shared and reshared much more easily than something could on instagram or other platforms and so that was really cool about TikTok. Um, I know a lot of people are not, are not crazy about it, but it was, I, I, you can't actually go viral on TikTok. I'm not sure how easily somebody can do that on these other platforms now, right? Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I mean, it's quite, it's relatively easy to go viral on um, Twitter as well. So. I think the next platforms of the future are going to be those that are going to increase your virality mm -hmm. and increase your like n to one to zero to n factor. So like, how many people can you reach in the quickest manner? You know, right? Um, I, I think that's a huge kind of underrated aspect of like you know the future. Yeah, too. Like, I think know, that things that go viral, there's a certain energy that a content creator will bring. And a lot of times they're bringing their best stuff pretty early on. It can be difficult after, you know, many, many months and years to keep producing great content. So the thing that was cool about TikTok is that it kind of onboarded these people and you could just run up so easily. You didn't have to kind of, you could just like that. Um, so yeah, that, that was, I think that would be a lesson for other platforms. So let's talk a little bit about you. In some of the projects you're working on here, it's Crypto Not Web 3 Grid Cult. I'm looking at your Twitter profile right now. Um, you know, you, you've shared a little bit about some of the projects you're working on. 
could you t tell us yeah. what are you excited about? Um, I know you do consulting, um, you do advising some, you know, various crypto projects. What are you working on right now? What should we be looking for from you? Um, so right now I'm working on a project called Tribs or Tribes. Um, I keep pronouncing it wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a project called Tribes. Uh, essentially, it is a fashion platform. Um, you know, talking about social media a lot. It's, it's a lot like um, StockX meets like Depop and all these other kind of platforms. And it's built <clears throat> natively on crypto, um, which which has you know huge amounts of benefits, which I can go into later. Mm -hmm. But that that's one project, and um, you know we, we've, we've I've been working on that for quite a while. Working with the CTO, I've known the CTO since like 2014. So me and him go like way back, and we're working on a project. So like, you know, it's it's, it's very fun working on that, um, and I'm very very excited. We just literally opened um, our private alpha. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to get like, if you want to be like a tester of the project and kind of see what you know the initial thing will look like you know we have a kind of private discord that you know people can request access to and then we should be going into like a private beta um you know very soon as well we're going to try to get more people involved in the team as well um and, and it's going to be like we're going to do like a token launch hopefully and it's going to be you know we're going to try and make it decentralized um you know so that's something to look forward to um in general i, I was doing a lot of consulting and stuff and um I kind of wanted to like take a step away because th that was just like you know taking up too much of my time. Um, yeah, that was taking up too much of my time, and I wanted to do like more of my own kind of projects. So what I'm trying to do in this year is work on my own kind of projects. I'm working quite a lot with like Concave as well, Concave Finance. A lot of the people from Olympus, Olympus DAO, mm -hmm. Ohm are working on Concave. I, whoever's listening, I definitely say check out Concave. I think it's um. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be giving financial advice, but it's, no, we um, can't do that. <laughs> yes, no, like I would say, just look into yeah. it. It looks very because um, I can see things that under the hood, and I, I, I'm totally blown away. I'm probably gonna put like my net worth into it. So, oh wow, I, I, yeah. So, like, you know, I think I think that speaks for itself, and I don't really need to go into that a bit more detail. I would say, like, yeah, definitely look into that um, token yourself. <clears throat> so. I'm working on that. I'm working on a lot of like NFT projects as well mm -hmm. and other projects disguised as NFT projects. So um, I've got like, I'm, I'm making clothes, I'm making like apparel, fashion. I've actually studied fashion in university for like, you know, a year almost and I changed my course to economics. So I, I'm, I'm kind of doing that and that's like a huge passion project I've been wanting to do for ages. Um, Kopi. Um, so check that out as well. We should be launching very soon. You know, we're trying to go for like a February launch um like we're still talking to manufacturers and stuff we've more or less got everything made that's um, awesome and we're gonna open it up yeah I'm, I'm i'm really like it's a huge passion project i want to be doing in the future the way i kind of see my life i just want to be like doing total career projects i'm currently talking to a studio to get a crypto documentary um up and running they've agreed to like you know taking it i don't know how much i can speak about it so i'm just gonna speak wherever you know whatever happens happens i guess and, you know, they've kind of picked it up and it's about like cults and crypto. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, when you were talking about the kinds of people that, you know, worship um, you know, Charles Hoskin or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah we're going to be like, I, I want to like create a documentary around that where, you know, we kind of like diagnose and, you know, we kind of like interview and, you know, go very in depth 
in this kind of like specific thing of what attracts people to certain things within crypto and why they're these sort of like cults, why they're maximalists, why they're chaining marines and so on. So I am really interested I, I, to learn more about that because I've pondered this, you know, for hours. Why do people yeah. get attracted to certain coins? And, and they try to explain it as best they can, but you still don't fully come away from it. There's something about it that's like it's a religious, spiritual component. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, you're 100% right. It is, it is all of those things. And um, that's very early stage. Um, so I, I really don't know how much, like, I haven't signed any paperwork. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's really up in the air. Um, I'm speaking as a person, I guess, um, rather than a business entity. So, yeah, I mean, those are like my three main focuses not right now mm -hmm. is the, the actually four, sorry, Concave, um, which I only started working with like within a month, um, Concave, Tribes, my NFT projects, which have like, um, essentially what I want to do with the NFT projects are essentially create a DAO where, you know, people are rewarded for, with like, um, you know, profit essentially, um, you know, for the NFT projects as a whole. So I'm uh, like, I can make that like pretty much very quick, but I want to take my time with it. I want to do it right. I want to make it a very collaborative kind of process and it's more of a kind of hobby. And, you know, we are making a very interesting thing. Our heavenly words project, it's like literally no one's using that GAN, we coded a GAN. We've got entire like, you know, GPU server, you know, set up dedicated to it. So yeah, that's one. Yeah. And then obviously the documentary is very much like up in the air it's still, like it's, it's probably gonna be worked on like you know every weekend or so you know once a weekend or something um and, and that's still pretty slow so you know a lot of high hopes and moonshots i guess this year well you got to cast a wide net that's what i say i mean you keep trying different things out and eventually there's one thing that's gonna just knock it out of the park and consume all your time but i don't even know how you have the hours in a day to do all this you're you know you're busy on twitter you're busy and i'm sure you're in you know, plenty of, you know, private chats and, and uh, messaging groups. Um, you also do a newsletter as well. Um, I, I don't know if that's the honest way of putting it. Like I have a newsletter. I don't really use it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to write newsletters, but like, I just haven't got the time or bandwidth. Um, in, in regards to like what I do and how much I do, I have a team and like my background is in project management. So I have a very mm -hmm. good kind of mind in terms of, like being able to manage multiple things and like I have like documentation I keep like you know a Kanban board of like things I need to do but I know where like certain things are mentally um obviously like if you do too much you know if you spin too many plates they're gonna get broken so right. like this year I'm trying to de-scope I'm like I'm not that's why like I've kind of dropped my consulting stuff um I'm only working in one kind of field all my projects are crypto related like so, um, you know, hopefully that like, I'm, I'm just trying to simplify my life as much as possible. Um, you know, no, I think that's, I think that's a good plan. Um, listen, we really appreciate your time today. If, if people, you know, if you're not already following grit cult and I'm sure most of you are, it's at grit cult on Twitter. Um, he's got numerous links there on the different projects he's working on. He's got his newsletter. And, uh, you know, one of the smartest guys around, I always enjoy your content. It's a wide variety of things and I'm always learning something. And we really do appreciate you coming on the Brace Base Brotherhood today, Grit. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you guys reaching out. And um, yeah, I've learned quite a bit from you. And, um, you know, hopefully we can learn more from each other and keep going. Oh, we'll do it again soon. Well, we'll follow up and we'll give you uh, the links to the various platforms that we'll be distributing the content sometime in the next few days. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, take care, man. Thanks, Grit. Cheers.